landed at the airport and MTR stations late on Sunday when Typhoon Corino disrupted train and bus services. Many of those affected had just landed at Chaklapkok Airport and were looking for taxis after services on the airport express and buses were suspended when the number nine Typhoon signal was issued in the evening. Meanwhile, dozens sought refuge in MTR stations because services were partially suspended when the number nine signal was enforced. Most line ran at 15-minute intervals, but above-ground services were halted completely. So, were you affected by the transport chaos? How can arrangements be better? What's the best balance between safety and convenience? And at 9.45 this morning, we'll be looking into a research on special need, education needs children. So let us know what you think. You can leave us a message on our Facebook page Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or call us on 233-88266. So joining us on the line this morning, we have Alok Jain. Uh, he's a CEO and Managing Director of TransConsult and former Deputy Operations Director of Kowloon Motorbus. Good morning, Mr. Jain. Good morning. Morning. Yes. Also on the line with us until 9.30 this morning is Albert Lam. He's a former Director General of Civil Aviation Authority. Good morning. Morning. Uh, good morning. Uh, I'll go to you, Mr. Lamphers. So um, there, there were uh, many, many flights that came in that day. In fact, there were 83 flights, and they brought in 16,000 passengers between 7 o'clock in the evening and midnight on Sunday. Uh, why were these planes even allowed to land in a heavy typhoon? Uh, now, uh, first of all, the important thing to understand is the aeroplane, whether it's typhoon signal or not, uh, is mainly the, the wind and, and general weather conditions over the airfield. And if the wind is along, is more or less along the runway, and the aircraft can accept uh, that sort of wind, and the weather, such as visibility, is satisfactory, then aircraft can land safely. There's no no problem with that. Uh, so it depends on the wind and other conditions. Now, um, pr presumably, I don't know if you have, I certainly have been on flights that came in during a typhoon. It's terrifying. Um, are you saying that it's actually safe for the passengers? Uh, oh, yes. Uh, it, it is safe uh, for the aircraft to operate. Of course, the decision as to whether to, to land or not to land rests with the airline, with the pilot. Okay. And Mr. Jane, I know you just flew back uh, to Hong Kong over the weekend. Uh, what was your experience like? Well, I, I think my flight landed perfectly all right. And, uh, but obviously, uh, the transport issues were, were there. And having said that, I, I would like to make just a point there that I do not know why we are making this, uh, this hue and cry about uh, the transport arrangement. When it can, comes to convenience uh, or inconvenience versus safety, the line should be very, very clear. And I think all the transport operators did exactly that. They, they, they erred on the side of safety. And basically, it created inconvenience, yes. But I think nobody got hurt, nobody got injured. And I think that is what matters. And in overall, yes, things can always be done better. But I feel that end of the day, if you kept everyone safe, then that is what mattered at that moment. Exactly. So it's a question of safety. Now, you used to be with Kowloon Motorbus. So when it's not safe for the buses to be on the road, why would it be safe for the taxis? So, you know, there's a lot of talk right now. How can we make sure there's enough taxis? Why are taxis even allowed to run on the road during a typhoon? 
What do you think, Mr. Jain? Well, simple reason. I mean, taxis are much smaller vehicle and they, they don't get affected so much by the wind or gust winds that you have as you, in case of buses. These are double-decker buses and they have easy to, they are easy to topple over in case of high winds where the cars are safer to operate. So yes, where the taxis can operate, it may not be very safe for buses to operate in the same circumstances. Oh, I understand that, but, you know, there are landslides everywhere. Um, oh, you know, yes. there's flooding. That's not safe for any vehicle, surely. I, com I completely agree with you, and that's why I'm saying that when it comes to transport and we have to, cho when we have to choose between inconvenience and safety, then we always need to err on the side of safety. I mean, there is no, absolutely no question about it. And that's what all the transport operators were doing. And I would agree with you that why were we even operating taxis at that point of time? Yeah. So, Mr. Lamb, a, a lot of the complaint um, over the weekend was why were people waiting for three hours? Why was there a sign saying three hours? Now, um, could the airport authority have done a better job in dealing with these people instead of letting them join the taxi queue? What do you think? Uh, they, they, uh, yeah, as you said, there are two issues at least. One is the uh, is with the taxis, the other then with, with the, uh, the airport authority. Mm -hmm. Let me touch on the point of taxis. Uh, probably you know or you may not know, uh, taxis, I, as I understand, uh, when it is a type of signal number eight or above, they are not covered by the insurance. The insurance co uh, companies do not cover. The uh, taxi uh, drivers or owners run taxis at their own risk. This is what I understand to be the situation. And particularly when uh, when uh, signal is, is on, there are few few taxis on on the road, and uh, it is uh, it is not not easy to to get enough taxi uh, to take away all the passengers that arrive uh, so uh, so quickly uh, because the airfield conditions were were satisfactory. Uh, secondly, uh, on the ground side, from what I understand from the uh, from watching the the, 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 the television and, and uh, seeing uh, reading newspapers, uh, I I guess the uh, I have no reason to, to to suspect that the airport authority is not trying to do the utmost to to help help relieve the the pain and worry of, of the passengers, uh, but they they, can, they, are, they don't they are not taxi operators. And uh, as I just mentioned, many of the taxis uh, are, are not running because the taxi drivers uh, are worried about their own safety and, and then they are not covered by insurance when, when Typhoon signal number eight or above is hoisted. Uh, you know, so many of those passengers who were stuck at the airport were saying, you, the, apart from the waiting, they didn't have any water, there was nowhere to go. The, you know, presumably they could have checked into a hotel maybe. Um, normally, if, you, if your plane is diverted somewhere else because of inclement weather, the airlines have to accommodate the guests, for example, by transporting them to a hotel, you know, buying the meals, etc., why didn't this happen the other day? Uh, well, uh, what, you, what you mentioned, I, I think, uh, 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 concerns flights that are delayed, that are diverted. But many of those of these flights, they are able to land, and, and this is the trend destination, and, and this is what the passengers want, 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 want to go. This is what. So once the aircraft landed safely, and uh, I, I, in, in my opinion, the airline's responsibility 
to take the uh, passenger to to Hong Kong, which is the destination, uh, has been fulfilled. All right. Uh, we, we have a, a if, comment. If I could just add uh, on, on that one, Jenny. Yeah, sure. I think on, on this one, I personally feel that we need to have better SOPs at the airport authority, at the airport level, where they need to see that in case of this a sudden surge of passengers where you have 10, 15, 20 planes landing full and they, if they can't go anywhere, how to handle those situations. I can give you my example from the railway operations. We normally do exactly that. If there is a train failure, then how do we accommodate these passengers inside the, the buses, uh, inside the platform, inside the concourses? And there's a whole crowd management uh, SOP that is in place. I, I don't, I'm surprised that, that the airport does not have a similar arrangement or SOP in place where they cannot handle so many passengers if there is a service disruption. Well, when, the, when there's a breakdown, the MTR, for example, the MTR organizes shuttle buses, but obviously yeah. they could not do that because it was not safe for the buses. So what would you like to see them do? Put them in hotels? What would you like to see them do? Basically, at that time, hotels, yes, there, there are passengers who are vulnerable and who are willing to pay. They can be put in hotels, but there are also a lot of passengers who just need information, who need water, who need basic necessities. And you need to just keep them calm. And these are all part of the crowd management processes that we do. Passengers were left hung and dry, I think, at the airport. And that's what created a lot more anxiety and consternation among the people rather than, uh, you know, whether there was a transport or no transport. If we can communicate well with people, I think that would have addressed half the problem. All right. Uh, Mr. Jane, I have a comment here from, from a listener, Marcus, and uh, he says, uh, planes land safely, but many danger for a uh, airport express train on a mildly windy night. Um, I mean, what he claims to be a mildly windy night. Um, Mr. Jane, um I mean, when we talk about uh, train operations, how dangerous is it? I mean, do you have any idea for, for train to be running during a typhoon? So trains running during the typhoon, the biggest danger is not exactly from, uh, you know, whether the trains would turn over, but, but, but it's the neighboring branches or trunk, uh, trunks which will fall over the track and that can derail a train. So obviously there are procedures. Uh, train people are not experts in weather. And that's why they rely on Hong Kong Observatory. So when Hong Kong Observatory raises an alarm, the train operators, they respond to that alarm because it has a certain characteristics which is defined with it. And they are on the side of safety, as I said earlier, hmm. which is a perfectly normal way of running trains or buses in any city. Okay. Um, joining us on the line now is Alexander Bale. He's a teacher who's based in Hong Kong. And uh, Mr. Bale, you came in uh, during the T9 the other day from Manila? Yes, that's correct. Tell us, arrived, tell us uh, what, what it felt like. Oh, it was scary. Um, I remember um, arriving. Well, in the air, it was fine. Um, but then the minute the pilot um, told the cabin crew that we've got to get ready for landing, that's when I started to feel nervous because the plane started shaking. There was this woman next to me, um, and she she kind of started getting scared as well, and she grabbed my arm, and that kind of made me feel a little bit tense too. So that was kind of a scary experience. And then, so so it was very rocky, the the plane. Yeah, I would say so. It's kind of crazy because my dad told me um, just before I flew from Manila that. The typhoon had gone up to T9, and he was a little worried as well because he was 
he was thinking that Cathay might decide to cancel, but in the end, they never canceled. So this was Cathay Pacific. Now, then what yes. happened once you, uh, one, after the plane landed, what, what happened? The plane seemed to be delayed, actually, because um, a lot of the um, gates were already occupied by other airlines. Um, so we were actually stuck on, well, stuck somewhere near a gate where we had to get collected by a bus. And that wasn't a good experience because, of course, it was heavy rain, a lot of wind, and uh, they had to move a lot of us onto these buses back to the airport. And then, and then once you got into the airport, what happened? Uh, that was when uh, things got a little bit scary because um, I could see a lot of people were stuck in the airport. People were obviously trying to um, get home. And uh, I noticed some people were even sleeping on the chairs, uh, knowing that it was very difficult to get public transport back home. And I think the only thing that was available were very, very expensive taxis at that time. But even then, there were only a limited number of taxis still available. So normally Hong Kong airport is really good. You know, once you get off the flight, there's a very efficient process for you to go through immigration and then get the bags. Was the chaos uh, before or after immigration? I would say probably after immigration because that's when I really saw a lot of people um, stuck outside the, um, the arrival um, halls. And I could see they were trying to make, um, make their way back home, but I felt that a lot of them were struggling. Um, I got lucky, though, because I did get picked up in the end. Um, but then my friend who picked me up, he was saying that it was really, really hard just to get into the airport. There was already lots of chaos and traffic uh, from private cars just trying to pick up uh, people from the airport. So that seemed a little bit chaotic to me. Yeah, so Mr. Lam, you were saying earlier, uh, Albert Lam, uh, former Director General of Civil Aviation, you were saying that it was actually safe for the planes to come in during those weather conditions. Now, you have Mr. Bale here, a passenger, who said it was just terrifying. Is that not even taken into consideration that, you know, it may be safe for the aircraft, but from the health point of view, people are terrified. Is that not even taken into consideration? Well, I, I don't, I don't really uh, appreciate the background to your question. Uh, passengers, uh, they they have trust in the aircraft, in the airline. That's why they take it, and they they must have trust in 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 the pilot making this this decision uh, whether to land or not to land at at an airport uh, under the influence of uh, typhoon weather conditions. Uh, so, uh, as to the feeling, it's a different different matter. Uh, some 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 may may feel ah typhoon signal is is not very good, but some may if the, if those who have a better uh, you know uh, understanding of of uh, uh, airline operation or aircraft operation, they will feel that it's just like uh, you may have uh, strong winds morning uh, and the the conditions may may be similar to under the influence of uh, strong wind. Uh, under typhoon. Right. Do you, do you agree, Mr. Bell? It's, you know, the, the status, uh, the passengers should understand that it was actually safe. Do you agree with that, Mr. Bell? I mean, I was speaking to my colleague um, yesterday, and he was saying that um, Cathay pilots are actually well-trained and they actually um, enjoy this kind of um, landing. But I think for the passengers, it's a totally different experience. Um, but one thing I, I must add is... Um, Right from the start of the um, journey, the pilots and also the stewardesses, everyone working for Cathay were actually um, 
trying to get all the passengers to relax, which was quite good. They, they informed us to keep our seatbelts seated, so um, the safety and the safety measures on board felt pretty good. But I think it's it's very different from a uh, passenger's point of view, of course, because uh, as he said earlier, we don't actually have the experience and knowledge of these things. And but I, I must admit, I was scared anyways, regardless. All right. Thank you for being with us uh, this morning, Alexander Bale, who came in on a T9 the other day. Um, Alok Jane, um, what do you think? Yeah. Uh, the the feeling, you know, passengers should simply understand that it was actually safe. What do you think? It, well, see, turbulence is something that one anybody who flies is very familiar with. I mean, I fly literally 100 and more than 150 days a year. And and honestly, turbulence, you often feel even mid-air turbulence. And you get need to get used to it. Yes, it's a scary situation. Yes, it creates a little bit of panic in you. All of those. But then we have to understand that the pilot knows their job and they would keep us safe. I think that is the trust thing that Mr. Lamb just talked about. And I think that is really what we have to believe, that we have to, the person who is operating these vehicles, they know what they're doing and they will try to their best to keep us safe. And if you don't have that, then you don't take that airlines. I mean, that's, that's really the crux of it. But having said that, coming back to, you know, on ground conditions, I think Hong Kong airport works sufficiently well. Uh, it's just, I think there's a handling issue here, which was uh, always in question. I landed the same day on 8th, uh, obviously not on Typhoon 9, but I landed a little bit earlier. Yes, things were a little out of hand. We were. I was also a little worried about coming in into a typhoon. But having said that, everything went smoothly for me as far as I was concerned. Everything was handled well. I, people were ready to assist. People were ready to provide all kind of, uh, you know, necessary information. And to me, that was a situation handled quite well. Okay, uh, so Mr. Lam, you know, the chief executive John Lee said yesterday that the, the situation was undesirable and he's asking the Transport and Logistics Bureau to come up with a contingency plan uh, basically involving the MTR and the airport authority. What would you like to see in that contingency plan? Uh, I, yes, I I heard what uh, our chief executive said, which I fully agree. Uh, as, a, as a former former operator, I, I have been the airport general manager for Kitech. Uh, and also with the department. Uh, after such a very uh, 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 severe weather situation and, and having, having seen uh, what happened on the ground, uh, every time we will have a critique, a very important critique involving all the parties involved and see what, 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 has, what, what, has, been, uh, been, what has gone wrong, if any, and uh, what rectifying measures need to be put in place and then from time to time to, to organize exercises to test those uh, procedures to, to see that uh, they're working, to see that the persons involved in, in those procedures are familiar. I think this is, a, I expect it to be a very, very regular thing uh, as it has been in the past and should be in the future. Right. And Mr. Jane, what do you think about uh, roundtable lawmaker Michael Tien's uh, proposal, I mean, to uh, enclose all above ground MTR tracks in the future so to, services continue well, and won't be affected by, by bad weather? 
Yeah, these are knee-jerk reactions, I, I, I would say. And I completely agree with Mr. Lamb that as operators, we are often faced with situations that are always at, at the, are the outliers. And we need to learn from these, we reflect from these, we revise our standard operate, operating procedures, and we train people so that next time we can handle it better. But we have one incident, and we want to spend $10 billion covering all the railway lines and into, into an enclosed infrastructure. I don't think that is quite a sensible plan, in my opinion, because that is going to create a whole lot of other problems. As soon as the trains are in, in an enclosed environment, then you have to worry about the fire safety of the train. You have to worry about a lot of other things, which is then creates another issues. So I think we cannot just do this knee-jerk reaction to, to what happened. What, what is critical to know for me is that everybody was safe in the end of the day, nobody got hurt. And I think that is first and foremost duty of any operator operating any of the transport infrastructure. Uh, Mr. Lam, I, I just want to know if an airline diverts a plane away from, from Hong Kong, if there's an inclement weather, what are the cost considerations for an airline? Uh, now, uh, for, for every flight, uh, uh, the, the airline, uh, I, this is all governed under the rules set by the International Civil Aviation Organization. They must plan for an alternate airfield uh, in case they can't land at a, at a destination for various reasons, weather or the uh, runway is obstructed, uh, etc. They have to fly to an alternate airfield, and there should be enough fuel reserve for the aircraft to fly to the alternate airfield. So fuel aside, once they get to you know Guangzhou or Taiwan, uh, wherever, uh, what else is there? Is there a cost to accommodate the passengers, for example? Is there a landing uh, in, in fee that, cost? In that situation, if the flight is diverted to to another airport, then the airline has the responsibility to uh, to take reasonable care of of their passengers. So, would you say there is a cost consideration for the airlines to bring in an, air, uh, an aircraft in inclement weather, to, uh, to take that risk of coming well, in in a uh, bad typhoon? Well, the, the, the airline, firstly, uh, the cost is, of course, is an issue, but it's not the important issue. It's the safety of the of the passengers and the aircraft. Yeah, you know, Mr. Lam, you, you keep saying that it's safe for the aircraft itself and that passengers should understand. Mr. Bale saying the woman sat next to him grabbed his arm. There are people with high blood pressure and heart conditions on these flights. What do you, do you not think that we should consider that? Okay, uh, consider what? Can you repeat that please? The health conditions of the passengers. Well, health conditions. Uh, well, in, in general, uh, people with different illness, uh, but in general, uh, the pe uh, aircraft airline will carry passengers if, if they are reasonably healthy. Of course, there, there is no such procedure as to, uh, for passengers to make a health declaration to the airline before the airline will issue them with a, with a, with a, with a ticket. Uh, there is no such thing. The health condition is, is general health conditions, okay. If, for example, the passengers, uh, it's so obvious to, to the airline that it's, it's unfit to, to, to travel, then I'm, I'm sure airline will, 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 will deal with it. Yeah, I get that. In, in, in a normal flight, yes, I get that. But, but you know, in, in, a, in a situation where they are put through a lot of anxiety, you know, scary for them, high turbulence, is, is there not a consideration for the safety from a health point of view? 
you, you mean the anxiety of uh, passengers? Of course. Well, they, the high they, blood they, pressure, they, they can have a heart attack. Uh, they, 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 uh, well, there are a lot of anxiety. You don't even know. Just to give you an answer, <laughs> as a normal passenger, uh, when uh, many passengers, when they board an aircraft, they still have anxiety. Whether yeah. they, they hope that the aircraft will, yeah. will, will take <laughs> off safely, safely, will operate safely, will land safely. And this is always hanging, this issue will always hang in the minds of ordinary passengers. Yeah. And it will cause some anxiety yeah. to, to a certain extent. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Uh, Lam, for being and, with and, uh, us. Uh, I sorry, I have to, to uh, cut uh, you off is... there because we're coming up to 9.30. Yeah. We, we, we will sure. resume with you, Mr. Jane. But uh, let's have a look at the weather. Today is mainly cloudy with sunny periods during the day with a maximum temperature of around 29 degrees. Moderate northeasterly winds will occasionally fresh offshore. The outlook is for sunny periods in the next few days. Current temperature, 26 degrees Celsius relative humidity, 73%. Yes, Haley Ip with the news. A former chairman of the Institution of Engineers Electronics Division says fully covering the airport express line to ensure safe travel during typhoons will not only be expensive but also involve working next to an operating railway line. Henry Jung was commenting after roundtable lawmaker Michael Teen yesterday proposed that all above-ground MTR lines be enclosed after passengers were stranded at the airport on Sunday when the Typhoon 9 signal was in effect. President Biden has described the attacks by Hamas militants on Israel as an act of sheer evil. Addressing the media following a video call with Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, Mr. Biden pledged America's full support to Israel as it responds. And Israel's intensive bombardment of Gaza has continued for a fourth day, with the port and the Rafah crossing with Egypt both hit. I'll have more news for you at 10 o'clock. When the local seasonal influenza activity increases, if we fail to strengthen our immunity against flu in time, the risk of contracting flu could shoot up. Getting the flu jab can boost the immunity against flu and reduce the risks of severe complications and death. Don't drop your guard against flu, especially for persons aged 50 or above, children, pregnant women, and residents of residential care homes. Don't wait. Get a jab. Keep flu away. No matter who you are or what you do, as long as you are patriotic and have an affection for Hong Kong, have ideas for a better community, and can help the community become better and nicer, run for the District Council Ordinary Election or nominate a candidate. The 2023 District Council Ordinary Election will be held on December 10th. The nomination period runs from October 17th to 30th. Grasp the opportunities for a better community. Okay, we're, we're back on Backchat this morning, um, and still with us is Alok Jain, um, with who, who was with Kowloon Motorbus, and also joining us um, on the line is Lung Wing Mo. Uh, he's an adjunct professor with the Department of Land Surveying and Geoinformatics, and also a former assistant director at the Hong Kong Observatory. Um, we have a, a, a guest who, who wrote in saying that um, I'm suggesting that people with health conditions should not fly. Obviously, I'm not suggesting that people with health conditions should not fly, but in inclement weather, we had a guest, Alexander Bayer, who, who said the terrifying passengers sitting next to him at the time. Mr. Jane, you were going to make a point just before the break. Mr. Yes, Jane? I was just yes. going to say a very simple thing that 
I have a heart condition and, and often before I fly, I check what the weather is like where, when, where I'm landing. And if there is any safety concern that I have, I just choose not to fly that day and I, I reschedule my flight. I mean, there are obviously, uh, every individual is different. And, and as a mass carrier, like, like aircrafts, I don't think they can really go into individual, um, you know, anxieties. But what they, every pilot or every air crew, they want to, they try their best to do is to ease the passengers, make sure that they don't panic, make sure that they keep them informed of the conditions. And I think as long as that is done, they have done their, their duty. Okay, um, so Loing Wu, you were an assistant director at the Hong Kong Observatory. Earlier, we had uh, Albert Lam, who was uh, with the Civil Aviation Authority, and he was saying that th those weather conditions was actually safe for an airplane to operate. Now, uh, what what do we mean by safe in, during a typhoon? Oh, um, I, I'm sorry, I. I, I have been working in the observatory for 30 years, but I have no experience at all with the uh, meteorological office at the, uh, at the airport, which is a different uh, breed of animal. But my understanding is that uh, taking off and landing are the most dangerous uh, time of a flight. So uh, it all depends on the conditions at the airport. Uh, things like um, turbulence, Things like wind shear and things like uh, crosswind are most dangerous as far as landing and taking off is concerned. So even under a number eight signal or even a number nine signal, if all these parameters, I mean wind shear, turbulence and, uh, and uh, 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 crosswind are not severe, then uh, airplanes are totally capable of uh, meeting those challenges and can land and take off very, very safely. So there is no uh, uh, tying with the operation of the airport with the, 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 the signal. Because the main point is that after all, a typhoon signal is a forecast. So sometimes we hoist a number of signal. It doesn't mean, well, it, it, it ideally it should be, but it doesn't mean that always we are affected by uh, gale force winds, uh, in particular uh, because of the uh, orography of Hong Kong. Uh, there could be places where you have stronger than gale force wind, but in other places you could have uh, rather uh, calm conditions. So uh, you have you have to um, to really consider the specific location uh, conditions. All right. I just want to go back to uh, Mr. Jane. I mean, earlier we, we talked about how um, we, we uh, you were talking about uh, the the situation of uh, trains and um, and uh, planes. And for planes, we heard earlier from Mr. Lam that uh, there is no blanket ban for planes to land. It really depends on the weather condition at the time. But for for example, MTR trains, when it's T nine, um, the trains stop or most of them stop. Um, do you think uh, there's something the trains can learn from the planes? I mean, should uh, should it also look at the weather condition? I mean, since uh, what Mr. Leung was saying just now, even when it's a T8, yeah. it doesn't mean uh, there is a gale force wind uh, affecting Hong the, the whole of Hong Kong. 
So what, I think the key here is what he mentioned that the, at the airport they have their own meteorological experts who will look at the conditions and then decide whether it's safe to operate or not. I don't think that capability really exists within the land transport operators. They don't have their own forecasters, they don't have their meteorological uh, sensors that they are getting the data and be able to make this decision. Hence, they rely on what Hong Kong Observatory uh, announces and these signals have been put in place for a reason. So when there is a T9, it is not just safe for people to not operate the trains, but it is also not safe for you and I to get out of our house and, and, and do you know the normal course of business. I think it's a, there's a reason for having those typhoon signals and it is to create a safety for everyone, not just a particular mode of transport or a particular uh, you know, person at, at any point of time. So we have a, a caller um, on the line. Uh, Mark, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Yes. Can you over, hear me? Yes, we can. Over to you. All right. Now, um, just a short word for the taxi drivers. Now, I, I, I have total sympathy for the passengers landing between 9 and, say, 1 in the morning. But as a taxi driver, if I'm a taxi driver, I'm not a taxi driver, but I'm thinking in terms of a taxi driver, somebody says, you come to the airport, and I don't know whether there's going to be any passenger, and, you know, it's a long way out, and I may get zero cash for my driving out there, and, of course, there's danger, danger with the typhoon number eight or typhoon number nine. In fact, I think certainly at typhoon number nine, I'm not insured. So... If they charge you double, it's understandable, but, you know, it, it doesn't look good for the passenger. Why should I pay double? But the point is the taxi is not insured, and the taxi has to come from Hong Kong or Kowloon into the airport, not knowing whether he can get he has a passenger that's guaranteed. So, um, you know, that's just a word for the taxi drivers. You know, it's, it's obvious that I, I, I wouldn't drive my taxi out to the airport. As, you know, the taxi industry yesterday, they, they want the government to work out an insurance package for the cabbies uh, during inclement weather, during extreme weather. Do you think that's um, a solution? Sorry? The, the taxi industry are saying to yeah, the government, can we work yet. out an insurance package during the typhoons? Yeah, um, but it hasn't been done yet. And, and it also, if I'm coming from Kowloon or Hong Kong, into the airport, there's no guarantee I'm going to get a passenger. Okay. Maybe yes, maybe no, maybe no. Yeah, and then so, what? so, so they're, they're doing all these things at their own risk, not just physical safety, not but only that, also... But not, not only at their own risk, but they're not being insured. So if anything happens to them, they get zero compensation. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Mr. Jane? You know, the taxi drivers are saying to the government, can we work out an insurance package to cover us during typhoon? Do you think that's a viable option? Well, that is indeed a viable option, certainly. But I would still go back to the same thing that when if you ha if you're choosing between inconvenience versus a safety, then the answer should be absolutely clear. There should be we should be completely unequivocal about it, that safety is more important. And it is not just the safety of passengers. It also includes safety of drivers, safety of the infrastructure, everything else. And, and I think the whole city all our responses should be designed to deliver that. Insurance is an event, uh, insurance you need for things that you do not want to happen. You do not want, you do not need insurance for something that can happen all, all the time. 
So it's a part of the risk management framework. And yes, in having insurance would help, but I don't think that will provide you all the answers that you are looking for in such a situation. So, Lo Wing Mo, uh, you were with the yeah. um, observatory. Is there is, is the difference between a T9 and a T8? Is whether the trains... Well, well uh, definitely there is a difference, but uh, I, want, I want to reiterate the points of uh, Mr. James that uh, whatever warning is issued, there is uh, associated with them a certain kind of risk, and the risk increases with the uh, with the severity of the of the warning. So, so uh, for number eight signal, people should be staying at home, and obviously the same for number nine, and obviously number ten, and so forth and so on. Uh, but having said that, uh, I mean most people should stay at home, but there are some people who essentially need to work under adverse conditions. So transportation is important for them, and uh, I mean the government and the mass transit um, uh, companies should make sure that they can provide uh, transportation uh, to the extent possible. What I mean is that uh, they can operate more or less in the in, uh, in the same fashion as the airport, uh, because as I said, a warning signal number eight or number nine is after all a forecast. Then. And also because of the uh, of the complex uh, terrain of Hong Kong, there are places in Hong Kong where trains can run very safely. And obviously, there are other places in Hong Kong where uh, the uh, the weather condition is not so 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 safe. So um, uh, talking about the monitoring, uh, the weather conditions, I, I understand that MTR has actually done a study with uh, some universities in Hong Kong about. Uh, wind conditions in different parts of the railway uh, during typhoon situations. So uh, I think they should, uh, they should continue with their study and um, make sure that um, for those places where trains are safe to run, uh, the surfaces should be continued and, uh, and uh, stop the surfaces only when the weather conditions are warranted. So I think... Uh, I think uh, Hong Kong Observatory might not be able to give the advice to the MTR, but um, uh, it, it might be necessary for the MTR, uh, perhaps in collaboration with the government or perhaps in collaboration with universities, set up more, more a network of monitoring stations uh, to ensure the safe running of uh, trains during adverse weather conditions. All right. So, so from what you're saying, Mr. Lung, there, there shouldn't be a blanket ban on uh, train surfaces when there is a T9. Yeah, yeah that is exactly what I mean. But, but having said that, uh, I, I, I really want to urge everyone to stay at home unless absolutely necessary. All right. Uh, we have a, a listener, Ian, who, who came in with several points. He's saying the weather wasn't that bad compared to previous typhoon. The conditions were suitable for landing, as evidenced with zero accidents at the airport. Second point, he says, if you're nervous uh, as a passenger, why would you travel during a typhoon? Third point, take responsibility for your own life. That passengers knew it was a typhoon. Why did they leave Manila that day? And then, and then fourthly, he said, some people had a minor convenience for a few hours. They had already forgotten. Why is that still being discussed? Well, because um, the chief executive is saying that we need a contingency to do better next time, Ian. And your second point, if you're a nervous fly, why would you travel during a typhoon? Mr. Jane, you, you make that point that you have a hard conditions and that, that, that there are times when you would think twice before flying. Uh, what are, what, uh, t- 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 talk us through those um, considerations. 
Well, simple consideration. One is where I'm landing and, and what kind of response I could expect if I do really have, uh, you know, some of those conditions. I travel to places where I think maybe sometimes even getting medical attention is not that safe or not that as good as I would get in Hong Kong. So uh, obviously coming to Hong Kong uh, certainly eases me and it's home for me. So it, it kind of all of these different factors come into the play. It's not just one factor that makes me decide. But yes, I wouldn't put myself at any undue risk for just for the sake of flying, you know, just because I have a ticket, I wouldn't put myself into any undue risk. So I take into consideration what are the conditions, where I'm going to, is it how necessary for me to go travel there, and whether I can get the attention that I need in case I need in that particular place. All right. And Mr. Jane, I know we, we talked about this earlier in the program that, that Chief Executive John Lee, uh, he, he said officials will work with the uh, airport authority and the MTR and, uh, and the transport sector to, to come up with a better transport solution under extreme weather conditions. And uh, he's hoping uh, to that uh, it will involve uh, emergency transportation. In your view, what... Uh, uh, what can this uh, involve? I mean, just now, Mr. Leung is saying actually trains can run or some trains can run during the typhoon or T9. Um, what do you think uh, we should do about uh, emergency transportation? Well, we can do that and we can come up with all the plans. But I, I can uh, say this, that there, this is a no-win situation. Just imagine that if there was a train indeed operating at that particular time, and if there was an incident on the train, and if passengers got hurt or, or, or you know, there were any fatalities, we would at this point be discussing why MTRC should not have been operating those trains. And I think it's a, it's a, it goes both ways. So in the end, this is a tough question to answer, what they should do and what they should not do, because in either way, you do, you are doomed, you don't do, you are doomed kind of situation. So obviously, in this situation, they have erred on the side of safety, which in my opinion is the right response for any transport operator to do, where passenger inconvenience, yes, passengers were inconvenienced, they were in the airport for a long period of time, and they, we could have handled them better, there is no doubt about it. But having said that, do we just carry these people like normal day of operation? I don't think so. Okay, we have another listener who wrote in. This is Brett, and he says, I forget how many times I've returned home or took off during a, a typhoon. Um, he, he felt that, you know, it was up to the airline. In this case, he was mentioning Cathay Pacific. He says, if every Cathay flight left or left from or landed at Hong Kong, then even what he called B-list pilots, I'm not sure what he mean by B-list pilots, knew both approaches to Kai Tak, like uh, the, the back of their hands. Um, and he said it should have been known all along that our new airport, Cheklapkok, cannot operate in typhoons because of all ground transport, if, if all ground transport must come to a halt. Mr. Jane, you know, what do you think? Would, he's saying that... Okay, the, again. Yeah. yeah, you can say that the train, the, the aircrafts may, should not have been operating, yes, but that would have caused, I would say, all these people who were stranded in Hong Kong, it would have caused even more inconvenience to them if they were in any other city and they didn't have the hotel bookings, they didn't have the arrangements, and they could not fly back home. So, yes, it cuts both ways. 
we can do and i and i am very sure airlines do have these procedures in place where they decide if they can't fly to a certain destination whether they can divert the plane or they don't fly at all and and those calls are made in consideration uh, of you know the local airports the meteorological data that they have and then they make a, a, a informed decision on on those aspects so i think it again it both ways if i'm stuck somewhere else and and i don't have a hotel booking and i've already in the airport and the airline cancels the the flight then i would be madder uh, at that point than to be stranded at the airport in hong kong all right well thank you very much um long wing mo uh, former assistant director of the hong kong observatory and also alok jane who was with kowloon motorbus thank you years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. Happy anniversary, RTHK. 95 years. Congratulations. Wish you all the best. I'm Tim from Dear Jane. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. So we're coming up to 10 minutes to 10. And in the rest of this program, we're going to talk about special education needs children um, and the services they need or the lack of services for them. And joining us... On the line, we have Wendy Huang, with the community, she's a community organizer at the Society for Community Organization. Um, good morning, Wendy Huang. Good morning. So tell us about uh, the, some of the issues that special education needs children are facing right now. Uh, yes, we uh, collaborated with the Department of Social Work of the Child University of Hong Kong to conduct the research about the strength and the support needs of preschool and school age SEN children this year. And we collected about 283 questionnaires. And through this research, we found the caregivers of SENTs are more satisfied with the preschool and support services compared with the school age children. And almost 80% of SENTs, they uh, used preschool SEN support services. But when their kids enter into the primary school, they only receive the limited services. Um, so some, uh, some of the findings show that, you know, the, the parents are saying the problem is there aren't enough quotas for, for the kind of help they need or the, the time slots and the location where service is provided is not convenient for them or there's a mismatch in that. Uh, how can that be improved? Well, I think uh, uh, why the uh, caregivers are more satisfied with the preschool services because the different intervention model between the preschool and uh, school age students. Because the preschool students uh, and the services coordinated by the social welfare department and all the services provided by the uh, qualified NGOs with rehabilitation services experiences. Because now uh, we have four schemes for the preschool students. First, we call the 
Surveyed Preschool Rehabilitation Services, and the second is the Training Subsidy as beans. And the third one is on-site preschool rehabilitation services. And all of these uh, services are therapeutic trainings. Uh, for example, it provides uh, 60 hours of standardized uh, professional services to the kindergarten students. So the uh, parents are more satisfied with the preschool uh, uh, services. But when they go into the primary and the secondary school and the support services managed by the uh, education bureau, it, uh, the school can apply for the learning support grant uh, to, uh, from the education bureau according to the different child of the SEN students. For example, the third child SEN kids and can get uh, uh, 60,000 per year. And for the SEN kids in the second tier, they will receive around uh, 15,000 Hong Kong dollars per year. But if they are in the first tier, uh, no funding they can apply for. So it means uh, when the school applied uh, for the subsidies from the Education Bureau, and the school can use, uh, can, can uh, decide what kind of services they will provide to the students. For example, they can provide the tutorial classes to the students, or they can, uh, they can buy the uh, therapeutic training to the students. And it's very flexible. So uh, it, uh, it doesn't have the standardized uh, package uh, compared with uh, preschool uh, students. Uh, they have 60 hours, but when they uh, in the school age, uh, no uh, standardized hours uh, 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 yeah, for, for the students. So it, it's very different. It's a school-based model. Yeah. Right. The, 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 I know your study also found that the, the budget for preschool support services is, uh, is around uh, 2.6 billion Hong Kong dollars, but it's around $3.8 billion for school-age support services. So um, are you surprised that uh, most caregivers actually uh, find uh, preschool support services uh, better than uh, those uh, provided uh, during primary school? Uh, I think uh, it's difficult to see. Uh, because the budget uh, is important, but uh, we, we can we can we know as uh, a preschool uh, students uh, from the uh, it's about just uh, four years or four years, okay. But for the school aged students, it lasts for the primary school and the secondary school total about uh, twelve years. So the budget uh, may be different because the duration is very different, and uh, for the preschool uh, students. Uh, all kinds of services, they are uh, therapeutic trainees, okay. But uh, in the school age, uh, the trainees, the potential is very different compared with the preschool stage. So it's very difficult to say uh, the budget uh, uh, for the preschool is less than the school uh, age students, but the uh, services are different because the duration and uh, the quantity is very different. Yeah. 
So some of the services that you looked at are things like how to help these children manage their emotions, how to get them prepared for school, how to socialize, and also um, getting the families to participate in these programs. When there's a shortage of these services or the, or the kids, as you're saying, as you're suggesting, not in get, getting enough hours, what is the impact on these children? Yeah, I think for the low-income SEN families, because they couldn't afford the expensive trainings outside, even in the NGO, yeah, the long government organization, the trainings are very expensive. It uh, may be uh, 600 or 800 per hour or per 45 minutes. So they couldn't afford it. So if, if they couldn't get uh, the supportive services in the school, it means they can do nothing. Yes, yeah, it's just yeah, their kids. They uh, couldn't uh, get good academic results, and they uh, have lots of emotional or behavioral problems. So their uh, caregivers also under big emotional burden. Right. Lots of them need to, yeah, need to receive the regularly medical follow-up and have the mentally illness. Yes, I was going to uh, mention that point because uh, according to your study, it found that uh, more than 70% of these uh, caregivers you're just talking about, they need to take a psychiatric uh, medication regularly. Um, how, how concerned should we be about, about this situation? Yes, I, uh, because most of the parents, they, are, uh, they have lots of emotional burden because of their uh, SEN kids. Yes, from according to our research, and they uh, tell us uh, 95% of the problem comes from their uh, children. Their school uh, academic results so good and their emotional and their behavioral uh, problems. So it means uh, if we do better to improve their SNK situation, their emotion burden will be uh, relieved. So we suggest we uh, can extend the preschool services, such as the uh, uh, training subsidy uh, program and the on-site preschool education services to the school age, at least uh, to the primary school uh, students. And we uh, should uh, inform the caregivers their uh, support care, uh, either first care, second care, or the third care and provide the uh, course professional trainings uh, based on their uh, support care and the, uh, their specific needs. Because I, we know SEN uh, has nine types of different categories and establish the standardized uh, guidelines for the training hours. And for the low-income families, and uh, we can provide the monthly cash subsidies uh, for them to uh, all learning vouchers uh, to the SEN kids to support their training, learning, or interest-based learning and the tutoring. Uh, and they also can uh, choose to go to the NGOs uh, to receive the therapeutic trainings. Okay, well, thank you very much, Wendy Wang, for, from the Society for mm -hmm. Community Organizations. And so that's all from us from Back Chat this morning. Thank you very much to my co-presenter, Janice Wong, and 
uh, our producer, Raphael Black. Join us again tomorrow and do join uh THK, the news at 10 with Haley Yip. A former chairman of the Institution of Engineers Electronics Division says fully covering the airport express line to ensure safe travel during typhoons will not only be expensive but also involve working next to an operating railway line.